Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Dave Crouch, and this is Policy Talks brought to you each month, usually on the last Friday of the month by Williamson, Inc., our Chamber of Commerce here in Williamson County. We uh, have a bright-eyed audience here at Columbia State this morning on the beautiful new Columbia State campus. Hope uh, more people will come every time, but uh, we've got uh, a great audience here this morning. I want to welcome our TV audience uh, by way of uh, TV Channel 3, Comcast Channel 3 with WCTV, and our radio audience on uh, WAKM. Uh, we glad to have y'all all listening and watching this morning. We've got some special guests here this morning that uh, I think are going to be uh, enjoyable and, uh, and enlightening to uh, have a discussion with this morning. From the city of Franklin, our mayor, Dr. Ken Moore, our city administrator, Eric Stuckey, the director of engineering, Paul Hosen, and the assistant director of engineering in the traffic and You'll, you'll have to finish this, uh, Jonathan, but Jonathan Marsden. Capital Projects, okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, oh boy. <laughs> That's great. Uh, you know, normally I start out by uh, or getting to know the mayor a little better, but Eric, you've gotten a very special award here this past week, so we're going to start with you as the City Manager of the Year, uh, thanks to the Tennessee Municipal League and the City Managers Association, uh, you're uh, uh, that's quite an honor. And and how do you how do you qualify for that honor? Well, um, maybe it, I should ask the mayor that. <laughs> that. Yeah, you probably should ask him more. Um, it is uh, selected by your peers, so city managers across the state, but it's nominated um, by my peers at the city, and so. Um, I think the mayor may have been involved in that. Some of our staff may have been involved in that. I've, I've heard stories after the fact. It was a complete surprise to me. So uh, I was tricked into being at a breakfast on Tuesday morning uh, by our mayor. And uh, I'm sitting in that breakfast, and partway through they do this award, and I'm really not thinking about it. And then I realized that they're talking about me. <laughs> so that was a little bit, you know. And then uh, they announce you, and I stand up, and I hear this response behind me, loud response behind me, and somebody points to turn around, and there's about 25 of our team members that made the trip down to also celebrate. And, uh, and my wife, of course, who was filming, and uh, it was just a cool surprise to get that and then also have so many people there that you uh, work with and that, quite frankly, make it possible. I mean, you know, this is a team sport that we're in, uh, in terms of community building and community service. and. Uh, you know, they all make it possible, the board support, the, team, the staff team, all of that. And so to have those folks all represented in that crowd was really cool. And so um, thank you. Congratulations. The, um, not, maybe not the last time, but uh, maybe a couple of years ago, right before you were here, uh, you just finished a trek up Camp, uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. Yep. I'm saying that right. Uh, have you done any higher mountains since then? Nothing higher than that, but had an awesome trip this year with my family. We went to Italy and Greece, and then when we were in Greece, we were in Crete for four days, and there's a lot of great hiking there. So that was our that was the hiking stint of that trip, and so it was great to have the whole family together and to do that, and so that was a trip of a lifetime for us, too. Right. That was great. Dr. Moore, uh, and I think Eric's been city manager or city administrator for 15 years. Mm -hmm. And 
you've been mayor now for 12 years and however many months, let's see, probably about six months. All right. 12 years and six months. Okay. And uh, you're enjoying it enough so that you've thrown your hat back in the ring. Uh, uh, I appreciate your asking. Yes, uh, I am running for another four-year term and excited to do it. It's an exciting job to get to work with such a talented staff and also such a special community and lead that uh, community and continuing to keep the special place that we have. So why did you think Eric needed to be city manager of the year? What does he do that nobody else could do? Well, he's extremely smart. Uh, I haven't found situations that we've encountered that he hasn't had experience. Um, just the way he manages our city team, uh, just the way he interacts with the public, uh, his transparency, and also his fairness uh, that he demonstrates every single day, whether he's dealing with uh, uh, people that are running for office, whether it's people are bored or whether it's uh, employees or whether it's citizens. He's very transparent and uh, very open to conversation and listening. He's a good listener, good idea man. Great. Is that enough? That'll work. That'll work. <laughs> we got other things to talk about. Absolutely. So. But uh, uh, who wants to introduce Paul Hosen? I'd be glad to take a shot at that. Paul's been with the city about as long as I have been, going on 15 years, uh, and has worked his way up in our engineering department and serves as our director of engineering and our city engineer for, gosh, the last 11, 12 years, something like that. And so uh, Paul heads up that, and that has uh, really two primary focuses in terms of the capital projects, which is our infrastructure building, supporting uh, that, uh, and designing and, and anticipating our future needs there. Uh, but also working with what development brings and the infrastructure impacts that that has and that that is done uh, appropriately and done well. That includes things like stormwater regulations and that's implemented appropriately. Uh, we'll talk a little more about our intelligent traffic systems, which is ways we use technology to make signalized intersections work better, smarter. And so Paul oversees all that and does it really well. And he is a unique blend of really sharp technical skills as an engineer but also really good people skills. He's great at talking with the public, working with our team, and, and helping uh, get to solutions and, and understanding what we need to do in terms of projects and investments in the community. And so we're really fortunate to have Paul's leadership and, and, and many, many contributions on our team. Paul, tell us something about yourself that nobody else in here knows. So. <laughs> Well, I love working on home improvement projects. <laughs> I also coach soccer, and I love coaching soccer. And he had a big winning season. There. Yes, right. I've won one championship. It was the first championship I've ever won in my life at age 42. <laughs> it was U9 rec soccer, but we won. <laughs> so for the first time ever, I won a championship, and I'm very proud of that. He wore that, uh, you know, he wore a medallion around for a couple That's right. Days. That's right. For a nine-year-old. <laughs> it took 41 years, but I won a championship. There you go. That it happened to be U9 rec soccer, but <laughs> I'm still first place. How about introducing Jonathan? So Jonathan's been at the city for about 18, 18 oh, years, and he oversees our capital projects division. Uh, Jonathan's pretty much done every position in the department at some point in time, just out of need. Uh, but he manages all the capital projects. Very lucky to have him extremely knowledgeable in federal funding um, and he just 
he's, he's just a great guy to have, extremely knowledgeable and does a great job working with our team to make sure we're delivering them as quickly as possible, extremely knowledgeable, and he is a much better presenter than I am is what I tell him all the time. When I have a presentation, I'm like, Jonathan needs to come with me. Much more entertaining. <laughs> now, Eric, uh, when we talked the other day, uh, we discussed just talking in brief about some of the high-profile projects. If you would, uh, just hit the bullet points of the, the Franklin Roads and Mac Hatchers and, and things like that that everybody is uh, all curious about. They've been covered pretty well in other venues and, and, and in this show a year ago that had not a lot changed in, in some cases. But uh, give us a rundown of what's going on uh, around the city there. Well, I'll hit some highlights, and then I'll probably pass it off to Jonathan, because that's his, his primary, one of his primary responsibilities. So he'll hit uh, some key parts better than I can. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, we're so thrilled to finally have Franklin Road done. Uh, there's still some punch list items, but it's a great improvement. Yes. <laughs> Thank goodness. Uh, that did take a little longer. We, you know, we are all feeling the impact of uh, labor shortages and... Um, some of the other elements that have made projects harder to, deli to deliver, and our contractor and subcontractor was not immune to that. So that project got completed probably six, seven months after the contracted date, um, and so we'll, we're working with the, what that means with our relationship with that contractor but, um, and the accountability there, but uh, it is a huge improvement in terms of connectivity with the sidewalks, upgrading all the other infrastructure around it, whether it's stormwater or our utilities. And uh, of course, it makes that a, a continuous um, three-lane road into downtown and that great connection that we now have out to Harlansdale, out to the factory, out to the um, sidewalk network that takes you um, up Liberty uh, to the east. So all of that is, is really a, a huge improvement and glad to have that uh, in, in place. Um, we have several other things we're working on, looking to bid the McEwen project here by the end of the year, which is a huge project, uh, not far from our doors right here. Describe what that is. And, and that will take us from uh, the uh, roundabout at Cool Springs out to uh, Wilson Pike. And so that will ba basically make that, you, know, you see the stretch that goes from Cool Springs in towards uh, where Nissan is, et cetera. Uh, you'll see that same similar type of road profile heading out. So there's a lot of topography to deal with. It's a huge project. It's a largely federally funded project. Uh, we got about $22, $23 million of federal money. We're going to make a run at another 9 or $10 million before we get the project going because we've already checked all the boxes on the federal side and we believe there's some money available, which is good because the project cost continues to escalate. We've seen that. Uh, with everything. So uh, that's a big project you'll see some activity on coming up. Um, I'm going to pass off to Jonathan to talk about maybe a couple others. We've got Columbia uh, improvements coming on. We've got, uh, we're continuing to work on the widening of Southeast Mac Hatcher and, and that's on the state list, but we're trying to find ways to move that up the state list just like we did with the Mac Hatcher extension that opened a couple years ago. Um, I'll pass it off for Jonathan to check off some other ones. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask a specific question about Southeast Mac Hatcher, and I asked this to Paul Diggs last month, but uh, that was on the three-year plan, uh, state's three-year plan two or three years ago, and then all of a sudden it's not. Uh, explain why. 
that, that's actually one of the misunderstandings about a three-year plan. So people assume when something goes in the three-year plan that it, it means it's going to get built, and, and that's not necessarily the case. When something goes in that three-year plan, really only the things in the first year of that three-year plan are actually programmed with funding. The other things are shown in there as that they're they're shown as a, as a as a want and a need, and they're programmed to do, but they they don't actually have funds tied to them. So unless they're in that very first year, they're not necessarily going to get done. So really, what you're looking at when that three-year plan comes out is the very first year. So you're shown things that come out that are tied to them with those second and third years, but the first year is what actually has funds tied to them for that year because the legislature approves the funding for TDOT on a yearly basis. Okay, gotcha. Now. Um, there are state roads in the city of Franklin. That's there correct. Are city roads in the in the city of Franklin. Uh, you're getting federal funding for McEwen. Uh, how do you know where to get money for all these projects? It, it really depends on whether the the roads are listed on uh, whether they have a designation as on, listed on national highway system or whether they have certain designations as a classification, whether they're, in our case, because we're an urban area and not a rural area, whether they're um, urban, minor collectors or above, listed as they're listed with the, um, the national FHWA and TDOT's classification system. So we work through the Metropolitan Planning Organization, Nashville Metropolitan Planning Organization, which is actually a subset of the Greater Nashville Regional Council. So it's actually a, a seven-county area that we compete with the other counties in our area and other local jurisdictions for federal funding. And as long as we meet the criteria for the various programs of federal funding, that funding is prioritized and programmed for various projects in our region. So we have to pay close attention to how those individual, uh, the routes in our area are uh, classified. And if they actually qualify for funding, then we also have to submit those through the MPO who then uh, objectively looks at those individual projects that are submitted on a, on a very periodic basis and they go into their regional transportation plan which is kind of a, a, a wants list and those are programmed on a 25-year basis in horizon years and then every four years they go into a, a TIP. It's a, a transportation improvement program and that's actually what they, it's a, a physically constrained program where they take all the federal programs that money comes to straight to the MPO for distribution to the local agencies within their region and then that's distributed out to the the local agencies, and the state also gets their share. Mayor Moore, uh, you're a member of the MPO. That's the Metropolitan Planning Organization. Actually, we call it the Transportation Policy Board. Uh, we actually call it Transportation Policy Board, and I I'm, I'm on that particular board, yes. And that board makes many of the decisions about where federal money in Middle Tennessee goes as far as road projects. That is the uh, purpose of the Transportation Policy Board is to determine how federal money is spent uh, on all forms of transportation. And is every mayor in Middle Tennessee on that board? Uh, uh, pretty much every uh, uh, city in, is, is on that board, yes. Okay, so how do y'all make decisions? Tell us about that process a little bit, if you will. Well, most of the decisions, well, a lot of the accumulation of data and needs are determined by staff, and then they're presented uh, to the Transportation Policy Board for approval. They're ranked and uh, based on many factors that they utilize. Okay. Any 
color as to factors they look at? or Well, they would be looking at economic development, congestion mitigation, uh, safety, uh, those type things, generally speaking. Okay. That, uh, um, so that's one of the uh, policy points that a, a road project has to go through around here. TDOT's another one, right? Uh, who wants to speak to our relationship with TDOT and how we try to get them to uh, help us out? Well, let me start that now. The real technical expert's going to be uh, Jonathan because he's got a long lineage with TDOT with his family and, of course, him himself. But uh, I do have the opportunity frequently to interact with Commissioner Ely. I was just meeting with him yesterday with uh, uh, four other mayors from the Mayor's Caucus uh, to discuss uh, $3 billion. Uh, if you remember, uh, the legislature passed the Transportation Modernization Act and the General Assembly awarded $3 billion uh, to TDOT for distribution. Uh, so they're in the process now of determining where that $3 billion goes. There are four different regions, so each region will get $750 million. Uh, and what they're asking for now is um, uh, projects where... Uh, uh, municipalities would put in money to prioritize that project. Uh, also, that three billion, they'll be looking at interstate improvements. They'll be looking at uh, uh, congestion mitigation in, in urban areas. Uh, they'll be looking at uh, improving uh, access to the interstate uh, in rural areas, uh, and so on. But one of the particular programs that is uh, particularly important that uh, we just got briefed on yesterday is the statewide partnership program. And so that statewide partnership program uh, is where we would uh, apply for certain projects that we may have and say, well, for example, Southeast Mac Hatcher, we would consider adding money for uh, design and engineering maybe. And so that would help move that project on up the list. Jonathan, Paul, um, anything you want to add to that uh, the state fund has, funding the, With funding with the state, so they also use federal funding, and, and they, they're, they're participants at the MPO level as well. So, and the mayor serves on the Transportation Policy Board. I serve on the uh, Transportation Coordinating, Coordinating Committee, and I explain that as basically being the planning commission to the Transportation Policy Board. So we help. Uh, dive into more technical issues and make recommendations to the Transportation Policy Board. And, and TDOT serves on that committee and helps advise us as well with, with issues that may be going on at, at that point. And they bring their plans to us, their three-year plans, and bring that to the MPO for the MPO to advise them on their three-year plan and bring that to us for it, us to at least give our opinion on it. Uh, it is their plan. for They also produce a, a STIP, a statewide transportation Im improvement program. And that's where they prioritize their three-year plan. And we always talk about the state three-year plan. It's the STIP. Right. Um, that's where they bring that plan. And then, of course, they prioritize it. And it's theirs to prioritize because it's the state funding that they get their our tax money back from the feds. But they also get MPO funding as well. So they do compete at the MPO level for, for TDOT. So you'll see TDOT as the main sponsor for funding that, you know, that's divvied out to the locals. They get that funding as well. But it's also good to have those relationships with TDOT 
and know that they have programs like local interstate connector funding, like a portion of McEwen. We call it phase three, but it's from Carruthers Parkway out to the roundabout. About half of that was built with local interstate connector fund. About $4 million was spent on that. And that's just a state program. It's just state dollars. And that's something that you just apply for. Uh, in some of the more rural areas or industrial areas, uh, like SIA funds, uh, state industrial access funds, or help to build those in access roadways. Uh, the Goose Creek lighting that we put up a few years ago in the Goose Creek area, the interchange lighting, that is a state fund where it's a 50-50 match. You just apply for the program. The state puts a certain amount of funds in there every year, and it's first come, first serve. Uh, and that was a program we were successful, applied for, uh, just because we know about the program, and, and others have known about the program. Right. But it's about knowing about those programs and, and having the connections and, and working with their staff and successfully putting the right projects with the right funding levels and the right funding programs. So where does the funding for Southeast MacHatcher stand? Well, <laughs> I can touch on it, but, and I want to add one other just general thought. Um, well, right now it is, <clears throat> it is a state-identified project, We're, and there have been some preliminary design work done on it, but we want to move it into the environmental and the next stage of design. And so that's what we've been pushing on and asking about. And I think that's what part of what the mayor was meeting on yesterday is to, to look at that kind of high priority project and how we can get that up the list. The extension that was completed a couple years ago, the city put significant money, both real cash, but also lots of staff time and effort to facilitate that project that moved it up that list. And so we plan to essentially try to do the same thing with Southeast. Um, the good thing is it's been identified as a state project. What we've got to do now is, is, is create the path with maybe some help locally to, to, to get those other uh, state dollars. And we're encouraged to see that there is a pot of state money pushing through the system. So we want to get to the, the high, higher on that list. So that'll be our focus. I want to add one thing just generally that we try to look at because all funding is good, mm -hmm. but it's not all equal. <laughs> and so federal and state money often comes with more strings and hoops to go through. So we have to look at sort of a cost benefit. And, and I'll, this McEwen Forest project is a really good example. We knew it would add probably a year and a half to two years to the project realistically with the different elements you have to go through. But we could get 20, which 20 may turn into $30 million. And that helps us stretch our local dollars further. That's two or three projects that we can get done locally and help other places. So in our mind, the scale of that, that was worth it. Uh, it, not everything that you might be able to get a, some dollars in may be worth the hoops and the delay that you have to do to go through those hoops and, and, and deal with it. So uh, Jonathan definitely helps us navigate that and think that through. It's a funding strategy component. So we try to use those dollars the smartest way we can, leverage them the best way uh, that helps us free up dollars to do more local projects that we can execute a little quicker. Okay. Any Thing you want to add to the Goose Creek uh, going zone, um, Long Lane overpass or any of that? Well, Long Lane is, it, we're moving into the right-of-way acquisition, which there's about 40 parcels we have to acquire. So that's going to take some time, probably a couple years to get that knocked out. And um, then it should be able to move forward with, with construction from there. We're, so I, anyone? That's pretty much it. We're finalizing the Yeah, what I would say is the hardest part of any project is always going to be utility relocation, and we partner with people like Middle Tennessee Electric to help us with that. Atmos Gas, I mean, we're usually moving six to seven utilities at a minimum, and we got to keep services live, and the other part is the right-of-way acquisition, purchasing that. So 
those take up a significant amount of time. I, I always tell people, we're not doing roadway projects, we're doing utility projects. Yeah. And then we just put a roadway back when we get done. Um, but we have great partners like Middle Tennessee, Atmos Gas, they are all great to work with, but it gets extremely complicated. And then you're dealing with tons of residents, lots of questions, and that's, that's really the most challenging part of the job. But once you get through with that phase, then we do a utility project and build a beautiful road back. So, Kind of switch gears here. Uh, I'm sure, I mean, I love talking about this stuff, but I'm sure some of our audience would just soon we move on to things a little more uh, understandable. But um, the... Uh, well, recent years, we've noticed a lot more high-rise buildings or mid-rise buildings going up along I-65. And I think I remember when Jerry Sharver was mayor and Nissan came to town, there was a, I think maybe an ordinance introduced at that time to, um, to allow some of that. Um, it seems like it's accelerated a lot in recent years, and, and I think that's on purpose. Um, somebody explain the rationale behind that and why we're seeing that. Um, is all of Franklin going to look like New York City when this is over with, or what's the what's the overall plan here? I'll, I'll do a little introduction, then I think Paul can talk a little bit about it. But first of all, we try to align land use planning and transportation planning together because land use drives the demands on the roads. So we try to make those sync up with each other and connect. Um, and we do try to align more intense land uses with where the infrastructure is most robust. So that's part of what we do. Uh, we also do traffic studies associated with all of the developments so we understand its, its impact. And those are studies performed by a third party. They're not performed just like the developer handing us a study and saying this is what it ought to be. We have some independence there to help make sure we're fully realizing the impact. Um, Paul really works with that closely uh, and, and coordinates the planning and land use component with the transportation planning. So, yeah, so we try to keep it updated. And so we look at what the proposed land uses are, and then we link that with infrastructure. And it's not just roadways, it's also water and sewer, uh, electric, gas, all the above. And where does it make sense to build density? Uh, and, and we, it's obviously is focused very much in the Cool Springs area, the Goose Creek area along that interstate corridor. And that's where we, continue to invest funding. The Board of Mayor and Aldermen have invested a significant amount of funding there. The other thing that I'd say too is, a lot of people think cities uh, build all the infrastructure. We don't. Uh, a lot of the development builds the infrastructure. So when they come in, there's obviously a lot of offsite improvements are required to do, and they typically get the density, but they also have to build a significant amount of offsite infrastructure to help build the city. Uh, but it's really built by the private development world, uh, widening Carruthers Parkway, installing water lines, sewer lines, all the above. So they, they do a great job and it's truly a partnership. Now, I spent a couple years on the Planning Commission in the mid-90s and I asked Planning Department, Engineering Department, somebody at that time, I said, don't y'all have software that tells us whether we need two lanes, three lanes, four lanes, based on the density of the zoning up and down this corridor, and at that time, they thought I was crazy. Uh, does that exist now? Is artificial intelligence getting us any closer to being able to plan roads that don't have, uh, what do you call it, class F uh, traffic uh, jams and that sort of thing? 
Yeah, we have a button for everything in America. You just push a button and it automatically tells you what to build. Uh, no, we do, we, we do have a model of the city that models our traffic and transportation system. And we again, we try to link that with land use and proposed land use. It's not perfect, uh, so you still have to use, you know, judgment calls on to what it should be, what it shouldn't be, and we, we look at that constantly. Uh, our traffic engineer who's not here today, they actually keep a model updated uh, that they run with every new development and it gets updated with every new development and we have a long list of projects. And you know, when, when a developer comes to town and wants to make a significant investment in the community, we gotta be able to tell them right away what, what the expectations are. Uh, they, they want to make a huge investment and we want to make it as predictable as possible for them. So for the most part, we know pretty much what they need to do. And then we've, again, we validate that with a traffic study done by the developer. It's also reviewed by a third party. And we constantly keep that information updated so that we can uh, make sure we're getting the infrastructure we need with the development. Okay. The best way I know to make this interesting is to use some of my pa favorite pet peeves uh, as examples. <laughs> <laughs> to maybe explain kind of the rationale behind what what y'all do and and what we see uh, coming out of the ground, but Aspen Grove Drive, uh, near and dear to my heart, uh, obviously my office is there. Uh, when the original leg from Cool Springs over to Jordan Road was done, wide road, bike lanes on either side, you know, you can fly through there and not hurt anybody. Now when you get to Jordan Road, it goes and you really just got a couple of bike lanes. You don't really have any uh, wide enough for my truck anyway. Uh, why, did, why did we do that? Uh, I mean, you've got people parking right there in the way half the time. Um, it just, you go from one extreme to the other, you know, when you go through that stop sign. So... Tell us the rationale there and why. So Jordan Road was actually one of the first projects I worked on when I came to the city of Franklin 15 years ago. And Alderman Peterson always says there's a lot of good projects, worthy projects, but limited funding. Well, that fell into that category. So Jordan Road is truly a country road in a very urban environment now. And the board has funded it. You know, they often look at where the development's happening, where to make that investment. It's now funded and uh, we are very close. We we need to acquire one last property, and once we do that, we will bid it out, and it will be more than two bike lanes. It'll be two bike lanes and two lanes, and so we're really? looking forward to moving that one, moving that one up the list. Okay, but what about Aspen Grove? As it goes up between those two big apartment buildings, uh, they built 350 units of apartments there. Um, apparently, they got them full now, so they're going to build another 428, I think, on the other side of the street. How are all these people going to get in and out? How am I going to get in and out of my office? Uh, did you do a tra I mean, I'm sure there was a traffic study done. What did it say? Well, I'll tell you that Jordan Road would not be the concern or Aspen Grove. Uh, most of the traffic issues are on, you know, Mallory and Cool Springs Boulevard. But there's traffic signals planned, and uh, we keep the signals timed. Every three years, we're updating timing. Actually, they're doing it almost every day. But every three years, we do a comprehensive study of the traffic signals and keep them coordinated to the best we can. And it's really about uh, extending the life of that infrastructure and making the most of what we have in the ground. So uh, it's something we look at constantly. OK. 
okay, uh, in the news, something called uh, the uh, middle eight. Uh, it's been battered around. Uh, I'm sure traffic studies have been done. How many units is that anticipated to add to the housing market in Mark in Franklin? Um, yeah, I can't tell you the unit count, but I can tell you that the traffic was not the big issue. <laughs> the traffic works, and it was acceptable level of service, and there's, there's other concerns about it, but the traffic was not the issue. When you say acceptable levels, um, you've got A, B, C, D, E, and F. Is that the scale on, what do you call it, traffic? Uh, what's the word for it? Functionality. Yeah, functionality, yep. So what is acceptable, A, B, C? That, that answer varies. Actually, we did a recent survey of the board, and all the answers came back a little bit differently. I told you I was going to pick on you eventually. But, you know, it, it's all different depending on who you are and your perception and what your expectations are. Ooh. In, in an urban area like Cool Springs, the F, an acceptable F, is probably okay. Uh, it's a very urbanized area. Now, you get out into the West Haven area, they probably expect more of a C. So it just it just depends on your expectations and where you are, uh, or how long have you lived in Franklin, maybe? Oh, yeah, or how long you've lived in Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, you've got some uh, sounds interesting. Some new software traffic study or traffic improvement. It's on my notes here somewhere now. I can't find it. Intel intelligent tra traffic system. Um, tell us about that, um, Jonathan or. Paul? So one of, the, one of the projects we recently got a grant for, we got the congestion mitigation air quality grant, which is, in, in most cases, it's, it's non-construction style grants uh, to, to improve, obviously, like, like the grant says, congestion problems and air quality problems. We actually have a project about to move forward into, and, it's, and I just said not construction, but it's, it's still called the construction phase and implementation phase. Uh, on uh, 96 East Murfreesboro Road from Eddy Lane all the way out to Arno, so 36, excuse me, 13 intersections, signalized intersections. It's actually kind of a, we, we could just call it a traffic signal improvement project where we're actually going to upgrade uh, multiple traffic signal cabinets, do multiple uh, signal head upgrades, but a lot of what we're doing is upgrading the technology out there. Uh, so this is one of those where we're doing a lot of uh, technology upgrades such as we're installing uh, probably, this is actually our first really connected vehicle uh, kind of pilot program out there. And it's, it's not fully what you see, uh, you know, what with, you have to have a road, you know, a, a true controller inside of your car, but it's, uh, you actually will be able to download an app, a free app that will relay information from the traffic signals to your vehicle uh, about the, the information going on at the, the signals. We're actually gonna put in an emergency alert system that will integrate with Waze, the actual uh, right. digital uh, navigation system that will alert you when an emergency, like a, a fire truck is in your area. It will actually populate onto Waze and tell you there's an emergency vehicle near you on that corridor. Uh, we're actually putting in uh, automated traffic signal performance measures that will actually give our traffic engineers live data from the detection at those intersections so they can actually make tweaks to the system. It will give them live data so it gives us signal health performance at those intersections. So a lot of new features are coming to that intersections that we hear about ITS. It's really about getting that data back to us to make those signals run more efficiently, to make them run smarter. 
We're installing new detection systems out there to get that data, installing new controllers out there, which are basically just modern computers out there that are more robust, more open standards that allow us to do more complex operations at the intersections uh, that are more open and compatible with each other. They talk to each other and communicate with each other. So it's, it's a lot of upgrades out there that you won't necessarily see a lot of construction. You don't necessarily do lane widening, and that's really what ITS is about. It's about doing more with what you have out there because we know that we hear level of service and people say, well, you know, we want level of service A, and that's free-flowing traffic. Well, that's not necessarily what you want. It's kind of counterintuitive. We, yeah, we can do that, but do you really want a, a Murfreesboro Road that's 18 lanes wide? No, I don't think anybody really wants that. I mean, if you're driving it, yeah, you'd love to have the, the luxury lanes where you're cruising down that, but think about the pedestrian trying to cross that. We, we want to make, make the most efficient use of those lanes. So that's what ITS is about, is about squeezing the most efficient use out of every uh, asset that you have. So that's what we're trying to do with that particular project. And we're doing little things all over town, whether that be with uh, radar detection, so we don't necessarily have to install infrastructure in the ground anymore. We've got radar detectors all over town. We've got, uh, we've got cameras to monitor traffic and, and relay information back to our center. Uh, back in 2021, we completed an adaptive signal project out in the Cool Springs area with federal funds. And at 19 intersections in Cool Springs, it actually allows the traffic signal system that communicate with the other 18 intersections. And it actually steps the timing levels up and down automatically to accommodate traffic level increases real time. Whereas it would only adjust the plan based on what we have inputted. This actually takes parameters that we input and automatically adjust based on traffic level changes. So you're seeing so, changes in there to help accommodate those changes out in the field. So this intelligent traffic system is responsible for our traffic light cycles getting longer and longer and longer. Or shorter and shorter. <laughs> I hadn't noticed that yet, but. Uh, It'd be a lot worse if you didn't have <laughs> you know, You know, the longer the cycles, the more stupid things we do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, just keep that in mind. Uh, I'll, that'll be the last of my pet peeves this morning. So <laughs> the uh, uh, interesting stuff, the cameras we see around town now, who's, who's watching those? Who, who gets to see those? Is, Brandy's not over there uh, spying on us or uh, well, Ken Moore. Yeah, you can go online and see them. Right? <laughs> yeah, so it's it's funny when I first got to the city, I think we had about five signals connected and maybe two cameras, and now they have gone above and beyond my expectations. We have almost every traffic signal is connected back to the traffic operations center. How many is it? One thirty. We actually have one hundred thirty four signals, and one hundred thirty two are connected to our talk. Yeah, so they they sit in their office now. Before you have to go visit every traffic cabinet and manually input the timing. Now they sit in their office, and as they get a complaint, they can monitor it with video, and then they can make changes on the fly, and we have people fully dedicated to doing that, uh, and it's it's absolutely unbelievable, and I'll, I'll never forget the day when I was at home looking at my phone, and I don't know if it was the mayor or somebody sent a complaint over to our traffic operations center as a weekend, and I see emails going back and forth saying, well, we just tweaked the timing here because of that special event doing it all off of their phone at home on a weekend. And I was like, we can do this. I didn't know we could do this. This is amazing. So technology is a huge part 
in facilitating traffic traffic operations. And where do we go to see that? So if you're ever, that's a great, if you're ever in City Hall, just stop one of us and we'll take you down to the Traffic Operations Center. And you'll see the big screens and the technology they use. They even have a traffic signal cabinet in that room that they can use to, to adjust things and, and understand how that would work in the field. Uh, none of it's ever used for traffic enforcement. It's used for how we monitor and adjust signals and signal timing to make it work. We've had incidents where, say, the interstate is blocked because of a bad accident or something like that, and we'll adjust timings on the alternate routes to accommodate the flow that's getting pushed to a Carruthers or one of the other uh, other roads. So we, like they said, we can do it real time. We can respond to what's going on, whether it's a unique circumstance like a festival or some shutdown of the highway or day to day where we just have volume higher at certain times and you start to you know adjust for that flow to, to make the intersection work as efficiently as you can and this is a technology that a city our size is pretty unusual for a city our size to have that level of sophistication so it's something that has been built over many many years by a lot of folks uh, to make it happen and and we're really glad to have it because it does make the investment that we have work as well as it can because as we talked about, it takes years sometimes to build physical capacity. If you can improve the existing capacity, that's good too. We're about doing both, to be clear. But it's good to have that tool in the toolkit. So would you like input from the public about their personal streets and uh, patterns? Uh, <laughs> their, their, their daily commute. If, hey, if they want to let us know, we will look at it. Uh, our traffic engineering staff is very responsive. We hear from neighborhoods about concerns. We work with them. We have a neighborhood traffic calming program that we work with people if they feel like there's a speed issue or a cut through issue. We can look at what the options are, but we don't do any of those without the approval of a majority of the neighborhood. Like the, the, the impacted neighbors need to weigh in. Right. But we do, we do interact with citizens a lot of times on their specific concerns about their neighborhood or, or different elements. So we, it is a big part of the service. Adam is joined us maybe three or four years ago. Is a really great, I mean, he's as good as they get for traffic engineers and really. What's his back is that? If you don't mind. It's been all traffic, transportation. Uh, I mean, from the consulting world. Consulting right? world, yep. I mean, it's almost technology, uh, but he, he's been doing it as a consultant for many, many years. He actually worked in uh, Florida and had three adaptive signals before they were ever, three adaptive signal systems before it was really a big thing, and we hired him as a consultant to help us implement the adaptive system, and then ultimately, Jonathan was able to convince him to join the city, which we were very lucky to have him. Good. Extremely lucky. Good. Mr. Mayor, when's the election? October 24th, early voting starts October the 4th. So if you're reelected, is anything gonna change? Um, I think the way I would answer that is, uh, we live in a very special place, and my goal is to keep Franklin that special place where people want to live, work, raise their family, play, worship. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have, you know, we have some so much long-range planning. There is going to be no drastic change if I'm reelected. We'll just continue to implement the planning that we've done for so many years already, whether whether it's transportation, water, sewer. All those things we're planned out a long, long way ahead of where we are today. Uh, how long is Eric going to be around? Well, you know, I've, I've got a chain on his ankle, 
and uh, the chain's pretty long. <laughs> uh, Reaches to Kilimanjaro. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all, uh, our board and uh, staff, uh, love working with Eric and uh, uh, getting the designation as city manager of the year is pretty special. Uh, so we hope he'll stay around a long, long time. Uh, a couple other just uh, random things here. Bicentennial Park. Um, apparently that's uh, getting ready to come out of the ground. Some pretty amazing things there. Uh, venue that will hold three to 5,000 people, but only 57 parking places. Is that what what I read? It, the bid was just a word. I'm not sure about it. Three or 4,000 may involve shutting off the street, uh, but there's where the Georgia Boot Pavilion was, that's going to be rebuilt, but that'll be built in a way that it can be a, a, a an event venue, if you will. So smaller festivals could happen there. You've seen the um, the food truck festival, Eat the Street, that's been going on for several years. Right. That the, you know, that gives you a taste of that you could put a lot of people in that area and and have the feel and proximity to downtown, but not have to shut down downtown streets to do it. Right. So uh, that's really the opportunity. Um, we've done elements of it. The Point Park is already a, a starter on Bicentennial Park, but uh, we've awarded that. That'll start by the end of I don't know soon because we've awarded the bid just two weeks ago. So yeah, so by the end of the year, that's, that'll be up and going as a project. Um, you know, you add some parking, but you've got uh, the downtown to, to feed off of in terms of um, the parking decks and those elements to help serve it, especially for community events that tend to happen, right. evenings, weekends, that kind of thing. So I think it's a good fit. There's a huge spillover, There's a huge spillover parking area that can be used for special events where we're gonna grade it out and you know, if we need to park them there, we can. As long as it's not raining, it'll be just fine. So gotcha. it'll be it'll be great. <laughs> we understand about rain. So, Ann Peterson, that's all right. Uh, you've been in Auburn now for how many years? Uh, Sixteen years. And you were on the. Have you been on the planning commission for longer than that? Much longer than that. I don't. I haven't counted those numbers up. Yeah. So, if you could change anything about the city of Franklin, <laughs> here's a, an opportunity to give the mayor some advice. I know you don't ever do that, but uh, <laughs> what would you change? Oh, gosh, there's so much good going on around here. Uh, I, I can't really come up with something I would just change right away. But, you know, there, there are always things that we can improve. No question about that. And we've got so many projects that are going on uh, that will um, be interesting whenever they get done. And, and you can see from, well, you know, just being able to open the uh, Mac Hatcher, uh, what, Northwest and everything, that was tremendous. And we did, the city did put extra money in that to kind of, you know, push the, the state to uh, do something about it. But... Um, We've we've done a lot of really good things and uh, don't and not only on roads but I mean you think about uh, over the last few years we've gotten uh, uh, fire stations you know uh, out on uh, I guess I guess it's on Paytonsville Road but anyway it's out in Berry Farms area yeah in Goose Creek and also uh, even not that really long ago in West Haven 
so so we've we've been we've been doing a lot of things that are have been helpful to do. I don't know. I mean, I, I can I can name some things where I think you know if I could snap my fingers, but. Uh, love uh, Ann Peterson and I were kind of from opposite sides of the political spectrum back in 1989. Uh, and, uh, you know, we didn't quite know whether we liked each other back then. Uh, in fact, I made a proposal at the Planning Commission. She shot it down. It, it never saw the light of day. And, uh, <laughs> but the more we've gotten to know each other, the more I liken it to the Baptist and Church of Christ. You know, we got a lot more in common than we got differences. And uh, uh, really have gotten to respect Ann Peterson and uh, appreciate what you do. Brandy Blanton, you're next. Are you going to say whether you liked me from the beginning or not? You know, from that day at One Stop Market, mm -hmm. where I was in front of you and mine, and I turned around and looked at you, and you looked at me, and We've been friends ever since. We have indeed. So I don't think we... Uh, and your wife was my next-door neighbor for a brief time. True. So uh, what would you change about the city of Franklin? So I had a moment to think, but it's going to go back to a conversation that we had out um, in the lobby earlier, and I was so glad you agreed with me. Um, there was a project that was put on the CIP. Jonathan and Paul can go ahead and laugh. Um, a couple of years back, um, when Pearl was alive, actually, and it is for um, the intersection at Royal Oaks, which turns into Mallory Lane and Liberty Pike, directly around Centennial High School, and right by the entrance to my subdivision. So I'm very familiar where um, they want to retrofit a two-lane roundabout. And also, because my subdivision is very close, another smaller roundabout there. It got approved and was in the capital improvement list, much to my dismay. But um, fortunately, as we had the new alderman reelected two years ago, it was asked, are there new projects we want to reconsider now that we have kind of some new thinkers? And I had some people on my side. So um, I just really feel, I know that roundabouts are a great way to move vehicles. Um, I think retrofitting a roundabout in that area to me you agree there's 1,800 plus Centennial High School students. There is a very large hill in Royal Oaks that would feed into that. And I just think it would be an absolute nightmare. So I'm well, very, that's what I want to change. I want it off the list. And um, let's see, 25% of those Centennial High School students learn to drive each year, right? I would agree with that, sure. And, and a lot of them walk. So, a roundabout there would be most you'd need a camera there that uh, would you could sell the videos to America's funniest videos uh, if you put a roundabout there. But I would love to ask your son, who is a Centennial graduate, what he thinks about we, that. We'll Johnny, we, thumbs some, down, thumbs down. We've got some Centennial grads over here. We'll just ask them right. while uh, while we've got them, and uh, got some college kids here that. Uh, uh, stand up, young men, and uh, we'll get we'll get some wisdom from the the younger crew here. Uh, Ethan Fluke. A um, couple things. I did go to Centennial. I also live in McKay's Mill right there, and I don't know if the 
science or data backs it up, but it seems like we had one person hit that McKay's Mill sign, and then now it happened twice in like two weeks, like three months ago, and it's still not cleaned up. So I'm very concerned just with family visiting when they're like, how does a roundabout work, especially by the fire department over there? Um, just going to Centennial in the morning around 7.30, it's a nightmare. And so I'm curious to see if the data with it, oh, the data with a roundabout really backs up the potential efficiency that could come. Now, what are you doing this summer, Ethan? I'm interning with Mr. Dave at Aspen Grove Asset Management. <laughs> Good answer. Cannon? Plowman? Yes, sir. Uh, well, being a young driver a few years ago, I didn't really know how roundabout worked. And I know a lot of people, their parents don't necessarily teach them how to drive at a very young age. Obviously, they can go and get their permit. But a roundabout can be a pretty confusing for a lot of people, especially after a long day at school. You know, I'm not sure that's the best place to be is a long line of cars and then going into a roundabout with a bunch of people not paying attention. So I'm not sure that would affect the students leaving the school, but something to look at. Also a question, I live off Ross Lane and uh, by Liberty Pike. I noticed there's some road construction going on over there. And the sign says it's going to be done in the next two weeks or so. But there's also a lot of signs going on on Franklin Road, and that took a while. So I was wondering if the timetable on the sign by Liberty Pike, specifically in front of Liberty Elementary School, is still at what it's posted. That's a paving project, and yes. It's easy to pay. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to deal with six utilities yeah. and yeah. So that, 50 that property should, owners. That should be knocked out. Good. Next young man, what's your name, sir? Johnny Crouch. Who's your daddy? <laughs> you. <laughs> it's you. Um, my opinion on roundabouts, uh, I've been driving for six years. Um, well, seven if you include a permit. Um, and the roundabout at McEwen, I still get a little confused when I go around. I've about figured it out now, but I'd, I'd say they're pretty confusing, especially a two-lane, because I never know which lane to get in, and I know there's signs, but no one ever pays attention that great to them, and especially uh, high school students that haven't driven for a long time. So, Thank you, guys. Uh, Paul, you want an uh, equal time here? Paul, Paul likes roundabouts. So I do like roundabouts. And why? I'm not advocating one way or the other, because ultimately I don't get to make the decisions. But roundabouts move traffic extremely efficiently. Uh, and they, there are some states where they are putting roundabouts in everywhere. And they do it because there's no maintenance and operation of traffic signals. There's no retiming. Uh, it, it does take a little bit of time to adjust to them and learn how to drive them. But if you run the traffic numbers, every single time the roundabout perform significantly better long-term. And so you look at states, in, in Tennessee, cities manage the signals. If you go to states where the DOT manages the signals, guess what they're doing everywhere? Roundabouts, everywhere. Georgia, roundabouts everywhere. Ohio, they're putting them everywhere. And they're just much, much more efficient. Uh, there are pros and cons. Um, it reduces accident counts and they're, uh, it, there's, there's still accidents there, but there's, uh, they're less severe. They're more, more property, damage. property damage than it is like a T intersection where someone gets injured and fire department has to come out and police. So there's there's a lot of pros and cons when you look at these things. But I will tell you from the traffic numbers that we run, 
roundabouts are always outperforming traffic signals. <laughs> Let me give you one perspective. Do you like to keep moving or do you like to stop? Because when you have a signal, you have to stop. You cannot move. When you have a roundabout, you have continuous movement. That's why the numbers show that. Now, it's not the answer everywhere, but it is a tool to have in the toolkit. And I think, I think to say that they're all bad is a mistake. To say that they should be used everywhere is also a mistake. But um, they do really work effectively. If you've ever been to Europe, you see them everywhere. And the fact that you continuously move is, the, is why they're seen as a, a really viable option in some of these places. And that's generally why they win when you look at their technical merits is when you, when you come to the, the peak conditions, so you look at a Cool Springs area during the, the, the peak condition, like in the afternoon rush hour, any intersection's probably going to be at capacity. So when you're talking about capacity, how much the lane itself can hold, it's going to back up. Anything is going to back up when the lane itself, the roadway is at capacity. Everything's going to back up. So if you say the roundabout's going to fail, the signal's going to fail, stop sign's going to fail. Some of them may fail worse than other ones. But when you look at the other 22 hours of the day or the other 20 hours a day, if you're looking at morning peak as well, you have to remember that when there's less traffic, a four-way stop, everybody has to stop. So you're, you're looking at stop conditions every, every, for everybody all the time. For a traffic signal, you're looking at at least two directions having to stop every time. For a roundabout, you're looking at no one having to stop in those lesser conditions, or at least most people not having to stop in those lesser conditions. So that's where the technical merits typically went out. Now, like, like Eric said, it may not be the right situation. Just, you may not want that, that particular intersection in that area for, that, for a particular reason. That's fine. But, but like Paul said, there's a lot, of, a lot of states now that actually will require you to go through and, and a roundabout first policy and prove that why you don't or why it's not applicable at that location. Then you move down to the next selection criteria for the next intersection. Mindy Tate's got a quick question. So transportation isn't only about the pavement on the road. It's about other forms of moving people and uh, sidewalks and multimodal. So I think that's one of the reasons Franklin Road was so wanted is the connectivity it provides. What's the missing link in connectivity in Franklin? From a bike and ped standpoint, so pretty much every project we do, there's a bike and ped aspect integrated into it. Also, our parks department has a uh, park master plan, which Lisa Clayton helped develop. She's our parks director, and it it's a greenway network that just it links up with neighborhoods, commercial nodes, the transportation system, and the two plans are very, very well coordinated. Uh, the missing link, I think that's opinion-based. I mean, I'd like to personally like to see a lot more greenways. Uh, but I will say the city has made a huge effort under Eric. Uh, we have a sidewalk gap project or funding that when we get these complaints from residents of, oh, I just wish that sidewalk would go another two, 300 feet, that we get the thank, have thank a funding source to go fill that in, which connects, again, the residential areas to the commercial nodes. Thank you, Paul. We are out of time. <laughs> <laughs> out of time. And I've got to thank several people for making this all happen. Uh, Columbia State, first of all. Uh, Mary Beth Shally is uh, the, the one that makes things happen around here. We'll give Dr. Lampley a little credit. Uh, Creed and his team from WCTV, Tom and the crew at w, uh, WAKM. Vanderbilt University, Lynn Maddox, uh, we appreciate your financial assistance and AT&T with Dennis Wagner also helping 
financially. Uh, the Good Food Group, or is it Lions Leadership? I, I'm losing track, but uh, your local McDonald's is supplying free coffee for these uh, efforts every every month, and we appreciate that uh, that uh, hospitality they offer. Chamber staff, uh, Matt, uh, I was going to leave you a minute to say something, but we don't have it. But uh, the chamber, <laughs> uh, under the leadership of Matt Largen, and uh, particularly the uh, quarterback on this one, Kel McDowell, we appreciate your help on all this, Jenna, uh, with a PR uh, element. So I uh, hope you'll be back here next month, uh, August 25th, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again. Thank you. Thank you.